Welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. What does it mean to be honest with your partner? And if you're in a committed relationship, have you talked about what you're actually committed to? Hopefully, it's easy to be honest about the weather or what you want for breakfast. But what about when something more serious is going on, like having major problems in the relationship or infidelity? In this episode, we're going to tackle some of these questions with one of the world's foremost experts on how to have a conscious relationship, and you'll see how answering them can bring a ton of healing, new energy, and vibrancy into your relationship. Today, our guest is Kathleen Hendricks, otherwise known as Katie Hendricks. She and her partner Gay are the authors of the book Conscious Loving, as well as many other books on the art of having positive, growth-filled, co-creative relationships. Having worked with thousands of couples, Katie is experienced in helping you make the shift toward a relationship in which you and your partner are bringing out the best in each other. There are some tough topics in the next 40 minutes, and our goal is to show you how to easefully and gracefully challenge your assumptions about what's possible for your relationship. And we're also going to have a giveaway of a signed copy of Katie's book, Conscious Loving. So listen up for details on how to qualify. It's going to be a jam-packed 40 minutes. So let's get started. Katie Hendricks, thank you so much for being here on Relationship Alive. My pleasure, Neil. I was wondering if you could start by just telling us a little bit about what is conscious loving and how would you distinguish it from what many or maybe even most people are doing in their relationships? Yes, we think of conscious loving as really being awake and present and able to engage freely, that you have free choice about giving and receiving attention, about being able to be with feelings, to communicate clearly and authentically. All of the, all of the skills of consciousness really have to do with like being, having your inner light turned on and being able to appreciate and see and experience your partner's inner light and to be able to support that emerging into the world more fully. In contrast, most people who haven't fully stepped into or committed to conscious loving are repeating patterns that they learned either from their families or from their immediate neighborhood, their community, or from the larger culture. The patterns of seeing yourself as a victim seeing other people as inconveniences, seeing your partner as what we call an improvement project, your own little fixer-upper, those kinds of patterns people usually are not aware of. And when if people find themselves saying things like he always or she never or, you know, men are just like this or women, you know, can't live with them, you can't live without them, those kinds of stereotypical viewpoints are a product of living in an unconscious relationship and so all of our work is really about how can we use our body intelligence how can we use simple practices to allow us to wake up 
to the treasure that close relationship really can give us. It's, it's really the biggest adventure I think human beings can go on. It's definitely an amazing adventure and way more difficult when you're trapped in those patterns that you were talking about. So I'm wondering if you can talk about, in the book, you mentioned the traps of unconscious loving. And can you clarify for our listeners a little bit what the traps are and so that they might recognize them in their own lives? Oh, I think when people read them, they're going to recognize them right away. These are... <laughs> These are traps of uh, seeing a limited possibility for relationship and having a viewpoint that, uh, that basically relationships are hard work, that you have to compromise, that uh, your partner may be more important than you. There are several different traps that we talk about in there that we recognized we had seen in our own practices as psychotherapists, but that we also saw being depicted on uh, television and in the movies where so many people really learn about relationships. And so we wanted to list those for people and we give examples so people will really, I think, be able to see quite readily what traps they might have been involved in. And then also in the book, we give examples about how you can easily move out of those traps. Yeah, so I definitely recommend that people read that chapter. It's, uh, for me, was very enriching the first time I read it, where I, I sort of could check off, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, <laughs> that one, too. Which one stood out for you? I've, I let people get away with destructive patterns. Yeah, that that is a really that's the reason that we put that one as number one because if I allow people, for example, to uh, treat me abusively or to speak to me in a certain way, I'm really enabling that kind of behavior, and we uh, we wanted people to catch that one right away, and then then of course the second one where you know I form relationships with people that let me get away with destructive behavior. Those are probably the biggest two, and the others come out of them. But I think that if people will take a look at, do I really, do I really care for myself? And do I care for my partner? Do I have a feeling and an experience of respect, both for myself and for my partner, that that's really a baseline for building a conscious, loving relationship. So caring and respect uh, are would, would really be antidotes to, to the traps. And can you also talk a, bit, a little bit about that um, taking responsibility for yourself and how that also plays into... Um, for instance, you'd have that recognition of, oh, yeah, like my partner is letting me get away with what you label as destructive behavior. Um, so how is that balanced out by this concept of not just I'm responsible for 50% of the relationship, but there's actually 200% of uh, the responsibility factor in a relationship? Yes. Yeah, boy, I'd say that the responsibility factor has been the most challenging concept for people. And when we 
uh, when we speak on television, that's the one that makes the announcers and the interviewers a little bit sweaty because people have two misunderstandings about responsibility. One is that responsibility is really about fault. So when someone says, I'm going to find out who's responsible for this, they don't really mean who is able to respond. They really mean whose fault is it? And we're going to find out. And so they confuse responsibility with blame. Mm. The other confusion for responsibility is confusing it with burden, that I'll take this on, I'll kind of be the hero and I'll take on this problem and I'll be the one who does all of the fixing because I'm responsible. And both of those things are really not responsibility. Responsibility is really being able to claim your creativity. It's really understanding that I am creating this interaction and my choices, the the ways that I'm listening, the ways that I'm acting, the ways that I'm speaking are either allowing this, they're creating it, or they're they're sustaining it in some way. And that each of us, by truly experiencing ourselves as a whole human being, whole and capable, then get excited about, wow, what is it that I'm doing that is creating this conflict between us right now? Hmm, is it something that I haven't communicated? Or, hmm, is it something that I'm feeling that I haven't really opened up to yet? And when you start getting curious like that, you start really flexing your response-able muscles where instead of using your creativity in that old unconscious way to you know, blame and to try and control each other, you genuinely start getting curious and creative. And I would say the responsibility principle has been one we've been promoting for several decades now, and it's just beginning to get a foothold uh, but I think one of the things people really need to do is to let go of thinking of responsibility as blame or burden and really think of it as a creativity booster. Yeah, so when someone is thinking, okay, I'm I'm 100% responsible for creating my experience right now. Yes. And, but, you know, my husband he cheated on me. Like, how am I responsible for that? Like, that was his bad decision. Okay, well, that's, uh, you know, jumping right to the <laughs> the, the ninth <laughs> inning, the bottom of the ninth Sorry. inning, the batters are up. Um, that is a an issue that always involves two people. So we love to play good guy and bad guy. And uh, I'm not at all saying that we're jumping over the the experience of one of the partners being hurt and angry and scared, and uh, and they and that they have things to really communicate with each other. But if there has been an affair, it's always a result of something that has been overlooked in the primary relationship. So it can be helpful for someone to get past their pain somehow and and actually take that that additional step. No, or not at all uh, saying that people need to get past their pain. They need to communicate about their pain and that both people need to get willing. Well, first of all, I think they need to decide 
you know, is this a relationship I still want to be in? Because the, the, they've ended the former relationship with the experience of infidelity. So they need to decide, do we want to create a new relationship and, and on what basis do we want to create it? And we've seen over and over again, because the infidelity is something that it's one of the few things that brings people in for coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unfortunately, I wish people would come in when their relationships were just starting to get a little wobbly. But they generally don't. They generally wait until, you know, they're both at opposite ends of the ring and they come out duking. But if people will will take the time to be present with each other, usually with an advocate, this isn't something generally that people can work through on their own, but communicating about it, really learning how to listen to each other, for both people to take responsibility for having created that event, what led up to it, and also to get, you know, what's the message here? What's the learning? Did we get, you know, did somebody get bored with their own life? Did somebody, you know, not take on another kind of adventure that they wanted to? Was was somebody really neglecting their own creativity and, and starting to look at the other as just routine uh, there all there's always uh, both something to be learned and uh, the possibility of forming an even stronger relationship than you had before. But what needs to disappear is uh, concealing from each other um, and not keeping your agreements. Uh, we talk about all of those things in Conscious Loving, and we also have a follow-up book that we uh, wrote several years later called The Conscious Heart, where Gay and I talk about having an emotional infidelity occur in our relationship and how we worked through it using exactly the same tools that we talk about in Conscious Loving. So we know that it can be done. It's good to have seen it for yourself as well as in your practice, I'm sure. Um, and I'm, I apologize for skipping all the way to the ninth inning because there's so many good things in all of those middle oh, innings. Well, we can go to, to the ninth inning because that's where, you know, most people <laughs> want to tune in. <laughs> <laughs> Getting, well, in the, in the context of infidelity, I think it's also interesting because you do talk about the importance of commitment. And you even said that in your, in your response that it was important for people to decide if they even want to be in this relationship anymore and, and to acknowledge that they're ending the old relationship and starting a new relationship. And yet even then, I think that you take the concept of commitment a little differently than because most people would say, yeah, I'm, I'm committed, but I don't think that that commitment means what they think it means. Yes, in uh, a commitment, we um, have grown in our appreciation of the power of commitment. Uh, it's an amazingly powerful tool because it not only gets you from where you are to where you want to go, it really gives you a place to come home to. So you can say to each other, okay, wait a minute, are we still committing to reveal to each other rather than concealing because we had a big you know there was a big concealing here for you know however long that Are went we on ready weeks or to months to recommit to each other and to recommit to the processes so we talk about in conscious loving that most people commit to the wrong kinds of things we commit to a thing rather than to a process and 
So nobody can commit to love, honor, and obey as long as we both shall live. That's impossible. And what we suggest is that people commit to things that they actually, processes and practices over which they actually have some control. I commit to getting close and I commit to clearing up anything in the way of doing so. We have a list of commitments that we have found to be very, very useful. And what we do then is it's not just commitment, which is what we consider getting into the game. It's like getting off of the bleachers and onto the field. That's where you really get to play. You don't get to play when you're up in the bleachers. You get to have a lot of opinions, you know, and you might have a certain amount of fun, but the real fun is when you're in the game and commitment gets you in the game. But the really important thing is recommitting because people confuse commitment with perfection that if I commit, it's a one-time deal and that, and so if I break the commitment, it's all over. What we found is that it's committing and then recommitting that gets you toward your goal, gets you toward what you really want in your relationship. And some of the commitments, like for me, learning how to reveal rather than conceal, I recommitted to that hundreds of times. I mean, really hundreds of times because I came from, uh, I grew up, did a lot of my growing up in the Midwest where it was very clear that if you couldn't say something nice, you just kept your mouth shut. And there were just lots of things that nobody ever talked about. Uh, so concealing was kind of an art form. <laughs> and uh, so learning how to really reveal uh, and the rewards of revealing, you know, of being able to be completely myself with gay being able to be completely unedited and to share everything I'm experiencing, the reward has been uh, just uh, really incalculable. And it came from not just committing, but recommitting. So we really think that anything important in your life, whether it's something that you want or whether it's something you want to resolve, starts with making a commitment and then recommitting when you drift. So that would require being really conscious of what you're committing to. Well, no, not and... really conscious because nobody is that conscious. It's just noticing. <laughs> <laughs> so if you put your attention on noticing, you can learn each one of these skills over a period of time just simply by recommitting and then taking action. So for me, with revealing the one of the things I began to notice was that I concealed when I was angry because, you know, and there was lots of, you know, history around that of the patterns that I had learned that nobody besides my father was able to actually say that he was angry outright. We had to go to our rooms if, until we could be nice. So really learning to recognize first that I was angry and then being able to say, I feel angry, was, was a big deal. And uh, what I began with is noticing the body sensations that let me know that I was angry. So uh, our, our work really weaves in body intelligence 
because your body is going to know much more quickly than your mind what's actually going on. And so in our seminars, we teach people how to recognize the body sensations of feelings that are not being expressed and uh, the body sensations of concealing in general so that they can then recommit to opening up and then go ahead and open up and uh, say something that's true. And those skills can actually be learned. They may sound formidable hearing about them, but remember, I've been practicing them now for quite a long time. And so I can tell you that that they do work if you let yourself practice. And you, you, you can experience more intimacy, more aliveness, more fun in your relationship along the way. You don't have to wait until you get really, really skilled at it. You can notice the changes right away. Something I really like about your your work is its focus on being more alive, being more fully who you are. And, and I imagine that along with the risks associated with, oh, okay, I'm, I, I'm noticing that here's my tendency to conceal and, all right, I'm going to just say it that there's this big release of energy that happens in those moments. Oh, yeah, that's such a good point, Neil, that there's so much energy of enjoyment, of play, of sexual enjoyment that gets stuffed by people being afraid. I think that fear is really the big issue because when I'm afraid, if if I'm afraid or you're afraid, the other person looks like an enemy. And it's really difficult in, in the presence of fear to experience your partner as your ally, as being on your team. And when people learn especially to notice the signals of fear and to share with their partner, even if they don't know what they're scared about, when they say, you know, I'm, I'm feeling butterflies in my stomach right now. I'm feeling a little racy, queasy. Uh, you know, I'm noticing some fluttery feelings, and I don't even know why, that that in itself will produce intimacy in the moment and will allow you to then build that emotional connection with each other. I'm wondering, in that particular situation, what if one of the partners is more like is actually experiencing insecurity and so their fear creates a lot of probably projections on their partner you know i'm afraid they're going to leave me i'm afraid they're interested in other people all of that stuff and where that communication of fear might somehow be burdensome to the other person like yeah i know you're afraid i know you're insecure like can't we get past this somehow so how would you right, suggest? But, uh, see, the thing, the thing about getting past is where are you going to go to? Mm. So it, it, the only thing about getting past is that people then override the very experiences that really need to be revealed to themselves and to each other. What we do is really encourage people to go to their bodies first, not to go to their heads Mm -hmm. uh, the head part of their bodies, but to really focus on being able to notice body sensations and share those body sensations, to notice 
the actual experiences of emotions and to share those with each other. Uh, because often when uh, when one person looks like they're the afraid person or the insecure person, the other person is not really looking at what how they're creating the dance. So they may be doing you know something they they may be a big explorer and a person who likes a lot of adventure or maybe more alone time than their partner their partner may want more intimacy it's usually about some very basic fundamental human needs like getting uh the kind of attention that you want uh being able to have free choice to be together and also have time for your own individuation and when we, the moment that we say, this is about you, we've stepped out of responsibility. Mm. But both people, what makes it really exciting is if both people are willing to explore, if both people are willing to say, hmm, hmm I wonder how, uh, how I might be contributing to this, or even really the, the most valuable question is, hmm, I wonder what I could learn from this. Not, I wonder how you could get over this, <laughs> but hmm, I wonder what I could learn from this that's coming up. It's coming up in our relationship, so it has something to do with me. Hmm, I wonder what I could learn from it with a, a spirit of wonder and curiosity. So shifting from criticism and self-blame into curiosity is really an important shift for anybody who wants to create conscious loving in their lives. And it's true for ourselves as well as with our close, you know, people who, with whom we are in close relationship, whether that be romantic or business or friendship. Yeah, a friend of mine once said that you can't get where you're going from where you're not. And right. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a really great one. <laughs> so yeah, all of that effort around getting past or figuring out who's right and who's wrong Um I really appreciated that in your chapter on resolving conflict where yeah. you offer all these possibilities for how a conflict can be resolved and you're basic basically like if you're in the paradigm of who's right and who's wrong then you're you're not having fun anymore. Yes. Yes, and I really um I one of the things that actually really amazed me is that I keep having more fun in my relationship with Gay. We've been together 35 years now. And, you know, most people would say, oh, my God, you just must be, you know, know uh, everything about each other and you can finish each other's sentences. But what's really happened is that we've, uh, the energy of our relationship, the energy that gets released from committing and being authentic and uh, taking healthy responsibility and appreciating all of those things generate variety, they generate renewal, they generate discovery, and particularly they generate creativity. So we spend really all of our time now in creativity and co-creativity. We basically haven't had, no. there have been no critical words in our household in this century. Wow. And so what people will realize, and I really, I really want to stress this, is that when you practice conscious loving, you're going to generate a lot of free time <laughs> because you're not going to be involved in power struggles and, and conflict and trying to 
to uh, prove who's right and who's wrong and get and get points and score keep and all of those old games which are basically will destroy your relationship either quickly or slowly and painfully but when you let yourself practice the things that we you know the the roadmap that we created in conscious loving has been used now for 25 years and so we have ample evidence that this roadmap works and we've seen it work with people all over the world and then the big issue then becomes what do I want to create? How do I want to contribute to my family, to my community, to the world? And how can I support my partner in his or her creativity so that all of us get to contribute our, what we call genius, our own unique qualities into the fabric of life that we all share? And then that becomes the big goal. And um, and becomes incredibly fulfilling and fun, where each day y- you can't wait to get up. <laughs> that makes me think a little bit, though, about the the upper limits problem. Yes. And uh, f- for our listeners who maybe don't know what I'm talking about, this is the idea that it, when you when you're generating all of this positive energy in your relationship, and that's one of the most important goals, right, of of this conscious loving process is actually experiencing positive energy, you come up against, well, probably your beliefs that that's, it's not possible to always be in positive energy, and and maybe also a degree of fatigue, and the need to separate to integrate. So can you can you talk a little bit about what what the upper limits problem tends to create for people and some sure. strategies around to get around that. Yeah, sure. Um, well, we really say that the upper lo- limit problem is really the only problem, and it's your capacity to expand into giving and receiving more love every day. And what we say is that everyone has a thermostat setting for how much love and positive energy they can actually handle physiologically it's not a moral issue it's really a neurophysiological issue because we got here because of thousands of years of people who were very skilled at noticing what's wrong those were the ones who survived and it's only been in the past gosh couple of hundred years that we've really begun to have the time and the the resources to be able to look at moving beyond survival and being able to expand our ability to enjoy things going well. And what we found is that when people exceed that thermostat setting, they generally do uh, a couple of things individually and a couple of things in partnership that will bring them down really quickly. The most common thing that individuals do is criticize themselves. And uh, it's it's kind of an epidemic that people... Uh, look for what's wrong, both with their bodies, with their behavior, with who they are. They judge themselves as not as good at uh, or, you know, too fat or too this or not enough that. So that process of criticizing is probably the biggest individual upper limit problem. And in partnership, the, uh, the expression of uh, criticism is 
uh, is the number one blame and criticism is the number one relationship killer. It is the um, the behavior that makes most relationships fall apart most quickly, and it doesn't have to be spoken. It doesn't have to be verbal. There's lots of nonverbal, you know, sighs and eye rolls and you know expressions that let your partner know that you are expressing a kind of contempt for them. Mm-hmm. And so the the what we've found will replace that is a commitment to appreciating your partner and seeing your partner as an appreciation project rather than an improvement project. And then also the big issue individually is learning how to love yourself, learning how to truly love yourself at a level that you feel of value. And then when you feel of value, you're much more likely to both attract and also to um, to hold yourself and hold your partner to uh, new kinds of communications that are loving and caring rather than critical. If someone is listening to this show by themselves without their partner and they're feeling really inspired, I, I have a couple questions from that person. One would be, how do I how do I bring up this topic in a way that won't uh, scare my part, or maybe it will scare them, but how do I do it in a way, how do I get the book in front of them in a way that's inviting them to participate with me? And yes. I guess correspondingly is what yeah. what can I do, just, just me, um, to, to affect change in my relationship? Well, we, each of us, have tremendous power to affect change in all of our relationships. And I would say the number one thing, I'm going to take the second question first, is to put a focus on appreciating because all thriving relationships have at least a five-to-one ratio of appreciations to criticisms. So you can start with yourself. And our, um, our websites um, and our Facebook pages have... Uh, suggestions that uh, will help guide you in that. We even have a a month's menu of appreciations that to help you expand your appreciation. So that would be one one thing that you could do. We also have videos, um, you know, lots of free stuff for people to help them learn these tools. Um, but to put conscious loving in front of people, what I would do and what lots of our students have done is communicate about their excitement about one thing that they've learned that has made a difference for them. So, you know, before, um, you know, I really thought that um, I had to be perfect before I could be in a good relationship. And as I was reading Conscious Loving, I learned what I could do instead. I really learned how to begin to love myself just as I am. And I, I, I really want to share this with you because this is the kind of relationship I want. And I want to know pretty soon if this is the kind of relationship you want to create, whether it's with me or with someone else, because I'm not interested in any other kind of relationship. Mm. Yeah, so there's some clarity in that as well for your partner to hear you a request, what, yes. what you're asking for. Yes, a request that's come out of your own enthusiasm and out of your own experience, something that's really uh, been incredibly useful to you. Makes perfect sense. 
Um, I want to mention to our listeners that we are going to be doing a giveaway of the book Conscious Loving, a signed copy. Thank you, Katie, for being willing to do that. Sure. And if you are interested in qualifying for the giveaway, you can download the guide for this show, which we'll have up on our website. You can also text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444, and that will qualify you for the giveaway. And we'll also, on our site, have links to uh, Katie's site, um, foundationforconsciousliving.com, so that you can easily get to her site and get at all the good free stuff that she was just talking about. I think that's one of the most amazing things about how our world works these days is there's there's lots that's available for free and all that free stuff often just becomes a bridge to just how much more there is to learn. And you've authored over 11 books now, so I guess yes, there's a lot to I, learn. Yes, we, um, and we have a sequel to Conscious Loving coming out in the fall uh, called Conscious Loving Ever After how to create thriving relationships at midlife and beyond. And uh, moving into the field where there just really isn't very much information about how to continue enjoying fantastic relationships um, as you get older. Sounds awesome. And when is that coming out? October. Great. Uh, Katie, we've talked a lot about honesty in this conversation. And I hadn't really intended that that was what we were going to talk about, but that's where we went uh, we, <laughs> when we started with the ninth inning. And I'm wondering, um, what for you do you feel is like the balance between being honest and you talk about micro truths and, and ways of being honest that are great? Because, you know, you hear all kinds of stories about people like having a commitment to honesty and then they come at their partner with this honesty that's like a sledgehammer. And, yes. and actually is well, damaging to the relationships. Yes, that's not what we define as authenticity. Authenticity, um, and in, as a matter of fact, I just want to mention that on our on our website, Hendrix.com, just www.hendrix.com, we have a, a list of what we call integrity skills. Um, if you go to Big Leaps and Free Stuff, you'll see uh, the four pillars of integrity where we describe the actual skills of authenticity and also have videos there where you can learn how to speak authentically. So I wanted to let your listeners know that. And what we found is that being able to describe what you are experiencing in the moment in a way that doesn't blame anyone, that's really authenticity. When you're being transparent and you're you're giving that same kind of curious attention to the description of your experience. And you're not blaming either yourself or the other person. You're just describing. So it would be the difference between, you know, when you said that, it just made me sick. You know, that that would be a kind of honesty that's pretty likely to, you know, engage in conflict. But if you say, you know, when I heard you say that, I just felt my stomach clench and I felt some hotness in my face and gosh I, I i kind of feel on the verge of tears so that kind of communication is much less likely to create argument and it's one of the reasons we started to call it the unarguable truth because when you say something that's deeply true it does two things it stops arguments in their tracks and 
it creates more aliveness, which for me is really the cash value. It's how I know I've said something authentic because I actually feel more vitality, more aliveness. And that gets back to what we were talking about before, where it frees up all this energy yes. to create together. <clears throat> to create and, and to co to co-create in a larger field too, because your relationship then becomes a beacon. It becomes a a, a radiator of of aliveness and possibility for everybody that you contact. And the the folks that that who have adopted and practice conscious loving really have rippled out um, into countless uh, people that they may not even know that they've affected. And so it becomes a possibility of really generating a new kind of relationship on the planet as well as just with your partner. Well, I look forward to hearing from our listeners or maybe just feeling the ripples as they come and touch me through through our society of their, their more conscious relationships. But if you are listening and you have more questions, please visit uh, Katie's site, foundationforconsciousliving.com or hendrix.com. And her last name is spelled H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S. It's not S like uh, not X like Jimi Hendrix, and um, and likewise you can always visit neilsatin.com slash Hendrix and where you'll see the show notes and also links to everything that we've talked about today. Uh, again, thank you so much, Katie, for being on our show. We, there's so much more that we could talk about. It's such a rich topic. And yes. uh, maybe you'll consider coming back on when your new book comes out and we can dive in even more deeply. Great. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word PASSION, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.